There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Welcome to The Mentor, I'm Mark Boris. When Nick Robinson's kids asked their dad, what can we do about the global plastic problem? They were deadly serious. And so they started the business called Good Citizens, turning your plastic bottles into everyday sunglasses. And Nick, he had no bloody idea what he was getting himself into. And how often have we heard that? There are more than a few occasions where it didn't look like this whole venture was ever gonna be possible. After 752 days and over 2,500 failed attempts, Good Citizens launched globally from their warehouse in Sydney's DY just last year. Going into business with his two boys, Harry Tan and Archie Six, has challenged Nick to push the boundaries to a whole new level. In a short time, they've managed to achieve the level of brand awareness we're all looking for within all our businesses. They've landed an entire window next to Prada for three months, and it was given to them, by the way, from Selfridges in London. They've won international design awards and have spoken at the United Nations, no less. Good Citizens is a business that started out with a principle first and the economics second. In today's chat, Nick and I discuss the value of transparency in maintaining trust around your business, simplifying your focus to one key problem at a time, and putting power back into the hands of the consumer. So let's get into it. Nick Robinson, welcome to The Mentor. Thank you, Mark, for having me. Um, Where where are you now? I can swear we're in lockdown. Um, Where are you talking to me from? The the rough streets of Balmain. This is our workshop and back office. And, uh, yeah, it's very quiet. Once was the uh, rough streets of Balmain, <laughs> not 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 anymore. That's, yeah. that's that's pure waterfront, baby, pure waterfront, uh, mate. So really nice to talk to you. Uh, we're going to talk about good citizen a little bit later. Um, I, I, a quick question, and pardon my ignorance: is, is a good citizen or good citizens? It's good citizens, plural. Yeah, yeah. So good citizens, and thanks for asking because some people get it wrong, and I'm like, Ugh. yeah, that's important. So. Co-founder, yeah. Um, before we talk about the business itself, and businesses very rarely start off when you know, as long as if you start off when you're twelve or something. But these things aren't created in a day. Um, the conception of these businesses goes way, way, way back before you even conceived it. And uh, so, why don't you take me back to say when you're in your twenties? Who's Nick Robinson? Like, what the hell was he doing? Well, I tell you, if I could take it back to nine, 
because at nine was my first business. I knocked on the local paper man's door and he said he'd pay me two pounds to do a paper round. And at the time, my mate's dad was into this thing called Tandy, which was an electronic shop. So I bought, I thought, two pounds, no, 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 no. So I actually baked, I made this fake radio station, a pirate radio station, by borrowing my mate's dad's little transmitter. And I sold advertising space to the garden centre next door and the old people's home. The old people's home was full, but they still bought an ad every week for three quid. So basically, the first month I earned 20 pounds, but it got shut down because mum said it was highly illegal. But it kind of at nine got me thinking, hang about, things can be done differently. And, and that kind of intrigued me. Uh, when you were nine years of age, you you were had a bit of an entrepreneurial spirit. Where does that come from, your parents? I don't know. My dad's a shoe designer. Uh, you know, by trade, he worked for Clark Shoes for 45 years. I think that my mum and dad are pretty safe people, to be really honest. Uh, they never set up their own business. I don't know. I think, you know, I'm highly dyslexic. And I think now as I've got older and I've got little kids and I look at how they function, and I'm, I'm sure you're the same when you look at your kids, I think I operate in the corners of the room. And, and that's not a comfortable place for a lot of people. Uh, and I seem to keep landing throughout my career jobs that, why have you rung me? And are like, I think they maybe spotted it. And four of my best bosses, literally, I worked in advertising. I've worked in television for the BBC and shows like Planet 24, which are in the UK, which was set up by Chris Evans. So I've kind of worked in the corners of the room where not a lot of people feel comfortable. But it, the, the flip side for me is I'm never comfortable. I'm, I'm always out of my depth. In any job I've ever done, other people believe in my skill and I've jumped industries with the skills I have, which is a creative mind. So fast forward to 20, I'm in London and I'm working, I'm at design, doing a design degree at Kingston. And a really, really strange thing I've probably never told anybody is that I had a really bad head injury the day I graduated. There was a massive pub barney and I got caught in it and some guy got into a rumble with someone. This is 2.30 in the afternoon. And the whole window came in and I looked at someone walking in the pub door and this whole side, I got taken out. So they closed oh. the entire side of Soho off. They found this guy. I was taken off the hospital. The poor guy that I'd met who had done my workplace and we've literally picked up my ear and my head and just held me there. And it's the strangest thing. I'd come out full of energy, really wanted to go and start work and then was hit with this. There's a really weird thing in my life. I was like, I was hit with panic and I was hit with anxiety around it. And I started work. It's funny. I don't know why I'm even telling you this, but it was the, probably the best and the worst day of my life. I'd graduated, you know, and then the world collapsed around me. How long were you at action for? Oh, I should have been, I should have been in hospital probably a week, but being a typical teenager thinks I know everything. I kind of got out and started this job on the Monday with this giant turban of stuff and CID turn up and, my boss is like, what are you doing? Like, hey, what's going on? I've been in a pub fight. No, I was in a fight. I was just, I was just there. I just was a, I was accidentally caught in a horrible situation. I have a, a sort of a similar story of many years ago. I mean, I, I don't mind telling it now because it's history, long, long time ago. Um, my brother and I both worked in, worked in the same law firm and um, my brother's you know, five, five and a half years younger than me. And um, we both lived together in a house, in, uh, in a terrace house. And uh, we were in our 20s and, uh, well, I was pretty wild. Um, he was sort of sort of wild but probably not as wild as me. And um, one night him and his mates went out and um, they got in an almighty Barney and uh, I won't get into all the details but it, it, is, it was a big one and um, he got a black eye. So he came to work in the law firm on the Monday morning and uh, when the senior partner of the firm saw him, he had a black eye, he said to him, 
hey, Boris, how did that happen? And, and my brother said, I was out riding my bike and, you know, I hit something and I tripped, you know, I landed on my eye or whatever it is and, you know, got away with it. Anyway, the next week I went away with my mates up to the Gold Coast and uh, I got, I somehow got, you know, it was over a woman, but I, I got, I got, I got sort of stuck in this place called the Penthouse, which is a nightclub in Surface Paradise. And the bouncers uh, locked the top door and the bottom door because I'd sort of, sort of made some sort of remark to his girlfriend and uh, an amorous remark to his girlfriend, which he didn't like. So he locked me in there. Anyway, I got an almighty punch up with this bloke and uh, it ended up spilling out on the street and up and down the street. Went, went for ages. Um, but he hit me, he king hit me and he gave me a black eye. Um, didn't end up all that good for him, but um, anyway, I had to turn up to the law firm on the Monday. I turned up the next week after my brother with a black eye and the senior partner. And I didn't know the excuse my brother had given the senior partner. I didn't realize the senior partner said, Hey, Boris, what happened to your black eye? What's, what's your, because they all knew we lived together. And I said, Oh, David, I was riding my bike and I, I ran into a tree. And like, he said, listen. That's the excuse your brother gave me last week. He said, you blokes have got to come up with something better. <laughs> I, I never forget it. Like, uh, it wasn't good. Anyway, that was my experience. But so, Yeah, how do we go from talking about good good things in the world to both our fighting stories? I'm glad we got this out early. Yeah, we got, you know, we got, we got that bit done. So you come out with a graphic, as a graphic designer for university. You start working in advertising. We, did you, was your first job in advertising? Uh, no, my first job was in a design company and I started working. I met this amazing man called Mark Rodol who set up the Ministry of Sound and he said, right, we're going from a nightclub into uh, going to be a record label. So my first job graduating was working with the Ministry of Sound and Virgin. It was, I mean, I just kind of landed on my feet. And then I got a call from a company called Planet 24, which Bob Geldof owned, Charlie Parsons and Wahida Lee that set up the the the, the, the show Survivor. So they've kind of all gone on and done amazing things, but they were looking for someone that could help them bring their TV shows, ground them to go and pitch the networks. And like, that's not a skill I'd ever learned, but I got drafted into that and worked for, for them. Well, how the hell has that happened? How'd you fall on your feet in front of these dudes? Don't know. Someone rang me and said, because the uni I went to was a pretty good uni and they were looking for kind of a, I think a bright graduate and then I rocked up. So that's a complete opposite of probably what they were after. But they kind of, I got their madness. That were, you know, they were coming together with all these crazy ideas and, you know, they'd already proven themselves. They'd done, you know, the big breakfast. They'd, they'd done all these other things. They're, you know, amazing guys. But I kind of just helped bring it down to a level that then it could be pitched to people in a normal language. And- well, that's quite interesting because you're, you're talking about people who are interested in building movements, I mean, Goldoff, et cetera. I mean, I mean and to some extent, Good Citizens is, is a, sort of like a movement. To be frank with you, I mean it's it's a big movement. It is. Um, well, it's part of a, a bigger movement. Uh, it's a big movement though in itself. Has a product clearly, but it's a big movement. So experience with big movements is is like a, an invaluable experience you can get. But then at the same time, being able to distill a big movement into its various parts is a good experience to get again. So like you need these big things like Geldof, etc. Like who can sort of. Uh, stoke your energy and stoke your creativity energy, creative energy. But at the same time, um, they need someone who can actually pick the eyes out of it and, and sort of execute on it. Is that sort of where you got your experience, executing upon their big ideas and then getting always getting energized by these dudes? Yeah, I mean, I've always kind of taken complex things and kind of reduced it. And, and I have lots of mates, lawyers, all sorts of friends that, are in, you know, at the top end of town and they'll ring me and say, right, let's ring Nick because we'll tell him and he doesn't understand it. 
we've got an issue. But if he understands it, he'll tell us how to say it in layman terms for everybody else. And I guess that's why I ended up in communications and, and advertising and the media, uh, you know, trying to sense what people really want to hear. And that's kind of, as you said at the beginning of this interview, my whole journey has got me to where we are now because I'm understanding and reading what, what people are feeling and, and what will kind of let the pressure valve off and, or, or for them to go, this disagrees with me inside. This just feels right in my tummy. And that's what I say to the kids. Things are very complicated in the world. Business is complicated. But at pure human level, if something feels good in your tummy, go with it. If it doesn't, don't. So as a brand, we're trying to make people feel, ah, oh, this, just, this just feels great as I rub my tummy. You know what I mean? Is, are we talking about, I don't want to get too sort of weird here, but are we talking about that like when you say fill in your stomach, um, it sounds very much like like neuro-linguistic programming and we're talking about kinesthetic, the kinesthetic part of NLP, which is you have a, not a call of reliance, but you, yeah, well, you do. You rely upon and you trust your gut. Oh, massively. But, you know, just back to your point, there's all these senses, ears, eyes, nose, smell, feeling, intuition. That's just all the messages go to the tummy. This is what I say to the kids when we're making decisions in the business. They're like, I don't understand that. And I'm like, how do you feel in your tummy? Because your tummy, that's where it all ends up. Like, do you, do you feel good or do you feel nervous? Do you feel bad? It's just that simple. And I'm trying to really distill it down, but that's it. Does it feel good or bad? Because, you know, you can hear things, sense things, and like you in business, you know, you've got a wealth of experience. You'll be able to smell things now. When I want to say smell, you know, you'd be able yeah. to look at it and go, it doesn't feel right. And, and that feeling isn't in your ears. The feeling's in your tummy. Well, it's funny. I, I'm, I probably don't operate that way because I, I – and it's, it's this very interesting um, for me. I, I try to make deductions and I try to do it very logically. Um, and I, I'm – because I'm not a, I'm not a very uh, – I'm not a very kinesthetic person. It's a kinesthetic person. I just don't know why it's not – and maybe it's the training, the legal training, et cetera. But one of the things I notice is that lawyers and lots of people, like, you know, people educated in those environments, those humanity environments, um, tend to be able to articulate things, verb, verbalize things very well and or demonstrate things very well. And the articulation, as I said, is usually in using words. And given that you're, you have had some difficulty perhaps um, with words, I wonder whether or not you've overdeveloped your your feelings and your kinesthetic ability, your ability to feel beyond what you hear and see. And it's, it's very interesting sort of um, lens you're giving me here, to be honest with you. I, I find it because I don't feel. I'm the opposite. Really? I read and I write and I uh, plot and I deduct. And very rarely do I make decisions of what my gut feels. Yeah, because we're talking, you know, because of COVID on a video camera. I'd love to be in there with you now, talking to you, because you want to get a read on my character and I want to get a read on your character. I've seen you on TV and I've seen you in ads. And, it's, you know, I, I was really disappointed today I couldn't come in and see you. But, yeah, I think you've observed something, Mark, in me. And I think, you know, if anyone is watching, listening, don't doubt all the things that you're meant to be good at. Just rely on what you're born with, right, and, and yeah. just use it. And I'm, you're the first person to point this out. I don't want an invoice for a counselling bill, by the way. <laughs> well, I'll put some GST on the top of it, but you can get a credit. You probably don't realise how sharp someone like you is at reading what someone's actually or interpreting what someone's trying to do and or say based on what you see them doing in front of you. And I'll say there's been four times in the business, I know we're going to talk about that later, but when I 
The reason I chose to make the product in Sydney in the Northern Beaches with the factory owner, Tom, is because when I walk in and, and see all these machines, I can now hear when the machine's not working correctly. And when Tom says, this is absolutely possible, but his body's like, no, it's not. If you're dealing with yeah, the Far East and over some, some other factory in another country, it wouldn't work for me. I'd be too nervous. I have to physically see it, be involved, work with the people. And, you know, and, and, and we'll talk about this, but after the 2,500 failed attempts and driving up the North Shore in the car, when I got there and we did nail it, the body, I didn't even have to see Tom's, he didn't have to open his mouth. I could see from 60 metres away, I could feel it, that we'd nailed it. We've got you now, Nick Robinson, uh, working. You, you go from advertising to comms? Oh, God, I left London and I ended, I ended up working in Seattle for a company called Getty Images. Uh, which was owned by Mark Getty, yeah, and and you know I spent a year there. So you're going from Bob Geldof to Getty Images, like what the fuck? I mean, how do you do this? They interviewed me over the phone. I think they thought I was about 35. It was a really good design job, and then they flew me over to meet the president because it's America. And when I got there, they realised I was 24, and they were like, "Hang about, a uh, bit of a mistake. Yeah, you know, we thought you were a lot older. You sounded a lot more mature on the phone. Anyway, and they couldn't get me a flight. I ended up staying, and after a week. Uh, I ended up working with this amazing man called Ken Olvidas, who was the former creative director of, of Microsoft. He was the, one of the founding guys. He'd been brought into the business to help. And he just loved my spirit and character. And he'd take me out for, for lunch and we'd talk and he'd introduce me to wine and good food. And, you know, I was a simple kid before. I, before that job at Getty, I'd only been on a plane once. I ended up flying 52 times in a year, right? So ended up going there, left there, came back to London, had sort of nine months in an ad agency and made a bet with someone. We were just at a party. Let's go to Australia. It's sunny. And my mate David had been out here for a bit and we just got on a plane. I walked in the next day, resigned, got the passport and, and came here. And that was 1999. And it's funny, I, I then went back into radio. I worked for an agency called George Patterson Bates for two years. And whilst, work, yeah, whilst working there, I, I became a cleaner at Triple M and to the FM on a night because I love radio and there's a guy called Guy Dobson who won't mind me saying he kind of believed in me and I ended up saying to the ad guys hey if we I can get you Osterio as an account and and I said to the guys at Osterio if I can get you a decent ad campaign will I get a show the answer from that was a hard f no but the advertising guys were like fantastic so I ended up walking in with all the big wigs to triple m pitch this this new brand and this positioning and this ad that we'd shot and and Triple M were like, this is fantastic, right? And But they were confused going, you're the cleaner. I'm like, yeah, I've been cleaning on a night to get in and I've also been using your studio when it's not on air. But I ended up getting a show on Triple M for two and a half years. It was the funniest show because it was so terrible. But again, I was out of my comfort zone and, and ended up doing Triple M for two and a half years. Left that, then set up my own ad agency. Left that. And then went back into entertainment. Uh, I got a call to be head of content for an entertainment group called MCM Entertainment, which became authentic. And they made shows for all the networks. And my job was to revamp the entire catalog. And we created five shows. I had an amazing team. But I ended up being in the entertainment game for two and a half years. I left that and then set this business up with the kids. So you're right. Everything that's ever happened to me has got to this point. Just so I can explain to the audience, Osterio is um, the owner of Triple M, Today FM, like a whole heap of different radio stations. They're one of the biggest broadcasters and probably the biggest TV 
regional TV broadcaster in the country, massive organisation and uh, full of administration and I've had lots of experience with them over the years. In fact, they were my partner on The Mentor for many years, not anymore, but yeah. they actually, we partnered together originally. Um, to be able to get, I mean, like, to be, like you know, it's, it's a big giant joint. That's a big place. To be able to go from cleaner to pitching something in is pretty big. I mean, I, I when I was a business partner, I couldn't get shit pitched in. Um, but I mean, you, you got to remember, Mark, that my la- I did have a radio show when I was nine for a month. So they asked me my past experience, and I said I had a show when I was nine. Yeah, it's all about gilding <laughs> a lily, making it yeah, sound yeah, better. Yeah. You said before your purpose is uh, entertaining people. I mean, part of it. Part of it. So explain to me what you think your purpose is, because. Most people are just trying to make money, trying to make the business, you know, fly. What is your purpose? Well, I've, I've been given, I guess, a gift of being creative. I've worked on everything from record labels to TV show, you name it. But uh, I think it, if there's a if there's a bucket of shit in the world and there's a bucket of good, I'd rather my ideas, even if it's entertainment, bring some kind of joy and happiness and a good cracking laugh. That's in the good bucket, Mark. I don't want to be using what I do to add to the crap bucket, and I don't like taking advantage of people, and 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 and, I, and that's a real press my button. If I see someone taking advantage of someone or a situation, I am going to say something. I think it's wrong, and it's kind of left me to where I am today. Yeah, I just don't like injustice in the world. So you have an innate sense of fairness and and justice. Like, are you the sort of person though that gets bugged by it? Like, uh, does it sort of? Um... Is it like Jiminy Cricket scratching his legs over the top of your head in the middle of the night? Yeah, if you ask my wife, she finds she can see when I'm when I see things like you know now we've come into this area of of this business. I know there are people that are making wild claims, Mark, and customers and the consumer doesn't understand it, but they believe it and trust them. And I, when you've spent so long like I have in this three years looking at polymers and looking at the way things are made and I can see other people just blatantly, it's called greenwashing. Yeah. yeah, I get really pissed off. And I get I get annoyed because the consumer feels cheated and when they find out they've been cheated, it just lets all of us down because they're like, oh man. And, and our job is to try and bring, you know, get people to think differently about rubbish and trash. And when other people are making wild claims, it's it's just a bit sad. I absolutely fucking hate greenwashing. I mean, greenwashing, for those people listening who haven't heard the term before, it is used more often than not. So greenwashing has become like a marketing platform to promote yourself as a good a good corporate and good environmental citizen when they're actually not doing it at all. They're just washing it green effectively. Is that is that the best way to describe it? Yeah, absolutely. Like, it's funny, on our website, only last week we put the word sustainable eyewear because if you Google us, and you put sustainable eyewear, we didn't come up, but I was looking at who was coming up and I'm like, the only sustainable thing about them is that they're sending their, their products out in a bag which is compostable, but you can buy them. It's not hard to do that, you just buy them. And great, they're doing it, I'm not gonna knock it, but then don't brand your whole business because yeah. you've got the word sustainable for Google search. That's bollocks. You know, Start with your product that you make. You're, you're an advertising dude, advertising for all sorts of people at one stage. What the hell turned your direction into getting single-use plastics and getting them recycled and turning them into a product that's sustainable. You couldn't help three or four years ago to see more plastic stuff. So David Attenborough was doing things. And I've got two little kids and they were at school and they learned about the environment and they came home, Mark, and they were upset and they were sad and they were just really deeply affected. They were like, you know, 
And I think Harry has got my kind of sensitivities to the planet and injustice. But they were upset and sad. And as a parent, Joss and I were having dinner going, oh, God, you know, yeah, you kind of just... And then my old boss, Tony, went to Thailand. And I said, oh, I went backpacking there. You should go to, you know, this place, Krabby. Anyway, lo and behold, I see a post from him saying, was told to come to Krabby, but I can't get the boat anywhere near it because it's plastic bottles everywhere. And that was the final light. I felt, if I could describe it for you, I felt like a Formula One driver sat there watching all the lights come on. And he was my final light. And I just said to my wife at dinner with the kids, I've done some crazy stuff in my time. Maybe again, let's enter the crazy zone. Let's turn this trash. Surely we can turn this trash into good. And that's our story. Trash, good, right? So that was it. I I just went to work. We, we have an office. This is, we've just moved offices to here, but I had an office. I cleared the deck, cleared my computer, my, everything, and sat there with a notepad and paper and just wrote down, untrash the planet. Like, what are we going to do? What trash are we going to find? And, and I looked at greenwashing and I spent four months researching. And after I'd done the first week of Google searching and ringing people, I was a bit disappointed. I was like, oh man, this has all been done because all these things are recyclable. But then I understood that recycles different to recyclable. Recyclable can, is, is kind of good, but it's still made of a virgin material. What about starting with something that was something before? Like, here's a bottle. What can we make? We didn't know we were going to be an eyewear brand. I love this whole evolution of our economy from the linear economy to what we call the circular economy. And yep. it's about keeping things in a, in a virtual circle, a bit like nature does. I mean, nature nature's the most efficient economy there is because an animal's born, animal dies, another animal might kill it, might just die, it, it, it degrades into the soil, grass grows, another animal comes and eats the grass. I mean, it's, it's, it's wonderful. Nature is so good. And if we want to aspire to have the most technically the best economy, then we should see how economic nature is. We've always worked in a linear economy where there's something in the ground. We go and dig it up. We do what you just said. We just produce a plastic bottle and we throw it back in the fucking ground. Or in your friend's case, we put it in the ocean in Thailand. I mean, and by the way, what goes on and over in those places like Malaysia and Thailand is just out of control. The plastic in the water on the beaches is out of control. I, but it I, might I, not be their fault, Mark. See, just to, you know, that, that plastic might have been put in in Mauritius and the tides took it there. But it somehow found its way to those places. And those poor people clean the beach. And then the next day when the tide comes, it's same. I know, Back. it's out, out it's of terrible. control. And, and, yeah, if, yeah. and, and that's how you, you got inspired by that. What you're doing is manufacturing something that can be recycled again. Yeah, look, the challenge, this is for complete transparency, which is radical transparency is one of our biggest values. This bottle has to go through. It's like making a craft beer. It has to go through all sorts of different processes in Sydney, right, and Melbourne. The bits that pop out the other end, there's some little bits that we chop off. We're not yet able. We can put it back into our stream at 5% mix, but what the kids have designed is a couple of key rings, and we want to basically make all the offcuts, which currently fill our car, our garage. My wife can't park the car in the garage. We need to buy a machine that costs 100000 Aussie, and that machine will then live in the factory, and that we can then put all our offcuts in, and we can then start to make new things from it, right? But that's why I haven't put on our website that we're a circular economy business. Most people would have way and truly said they are, but we're so particular that all those things are sitting in boxes here in the workshop when we've got 20 boxes at home. So the day we buy that machine for 100 grand, then we're fully circular. We're doing pretty well, but... But you're not linear either. No, 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 no. no. We you're not digging up here. stuff out of the ground. You're not digging oil up and turning it into plastic and throwing it out. I mean, no. that's the worst. 
No, no. Oh, God, no. But we take this, which is discarded. Everything yep. in, even our, our box probably used to be a Hoover box or a washing machine box. That's been 100% recycled. This bottle you know, has been turned into a pair of Sunnies. Our lenses by Carl Zeiss Vision, they manufacture our lenses. They're not recycled, but I don't want to get involved in the lens game. That eyes are very, very you know, sensitive area. But our case is made, everything is made from something before. We haven't got any kind of virgin new in the business. And, and the idea is to inspire people to turn trash into good. The most undesirable shit on the planet and turn it into what we think are some of the most desirable products on the planet. So eyewear is the start. You, you mentioned before, did you say your, your son or sons are in the business? Yeah, I set them up. So there's three, there's, there's, obviously my wife's involved as well now. Poor girl getting dragged into these crazy ideas. But Harry Archie and myself, are, uh, we set the business up together. And, you know, we regularly, we, we gave a speech on stage with the kids uh, for Earth Day at the Powerhouse Museum. And Harry, without even looking at the screen, just gave his version of the speech. It's, yeah, we sat there. We sat there in our kitchen and we wrote down, what's the problem? I gave him a business lesson, Mark, right? You know, what's the problem we solve? And they had been on YouTube because they, they're into all this stuff. And they said, Dad, this 500 billion bottles made a year. A million gets sold a minute. And they don't know what a million is, but they're like, that sounds a lot, Dad. So what we're going to do, this is it. They kind of said, this is it. Let's use this and let's turn it into something else. And so they're involved. And COVID, we've been going just a year. And we launched the day pretty much COVID hit and we all went into lockdown. So while most of the kids were at home getting homeschooled, they came into the factory and they learned how to make glasses. And they've been involved in the entire process because the glasses are modular. They're like Lego. They click together. So if their little fingers couldn't click them together, that meant the consumer couldn't do it and the consumer couldn't fix it at home. I just want to establish something really important here. Um, you know, you're crazy enough to stop what you're doing midstream and start a, a brand new business in the middle of the COVID period. But also what's sort of pretty cute here is, uh, and I don't mean it in a condescending sense, is that you're in business with your, your two kids who actually, and your wife, but your two kids who actually sort of challenged you with the issue day one. That's, that's pretty uh, unique. That wouldn't be too many kids. How old is your oldest boy? So he's now 10, but when we had the idea, they were six and seven years old. And, and it's funny because one, I know you've got kids, right? And, and, and as parents, you just want to put good values in them and they don't turn out to be little shits, right? When they grow up, that's what we want as parents. And then have confidence, right? But I've taught them one thing. If you shake a hand, deal done. So they, the silly buggers that night after dinner shook my hand and said, right, we're going into business. We're going to sort this out. And I kind of just shook their hand and walked off. And then my wife just said to me, you've just shaken their hand. And the next day, right, we're, doing, we're in business, Dad. And that was like the Thursday night. And then I went into work on the Monday. And I, I just didn't think it would end up where we are now. It's, it's a crazy idea that's, you know, we've spoken at the United Nations. We've We've made it next to Prada in the Selfridges front window. It, it's, it's, but we have, we've had some low, really low times, which I'm happy to share with you. But from that moment of shaking the hand, that was it. They just looked at me. And we got two little kids looking at you. So we're on, are we? Are we on? You shook hands, Dad. That means the deal's done. As silly as that sounds, that's it. And from there in was born this, this, this business. Like uh, It was born out of the, out of the principles as opposed to the economics? or We had no idea how we were going to make money, Mark. No idea. But we knew we had to solve a problem, and the problem we were solving was single-use plastic and how can we untrash the planet of single-use plastic. 
we worry about the the bit later. Let's just get to first base, you know, and that's how I just did the business with the kids. We've got a kid version of the business plan, and I pitched that to some of the most influential people in the fashion game. And they look at it and go, but it's only one page and it's done in crayons. And I'm like, yep, what's wrong with it? If you can't agree to these four values, we just walk away. And it's, we still pitch it to people if they ask us to give presentations or come and talk to them. I think there's actually a very good device, to be honest with you. The crayons, the simplicity, the story. It's a brilliant story. The story, though, the whole thing is, a, is a, all up is a brilliant device to get people's attention. It's great in a pitch, great in a presentation. I'm going to go to the break. I'm going to come back. And when, I'm going to, when we come back, I'm going to talk about good citizens. I want to talk about how the hell you design these sunglasses. Um, I want to talk to you about the, what, what obstacles have you sort of come up against in the last 12 months. This is a movement from my point of view. And um, the product so far is sunglasses. And the product also is used bottles, plastic bottles. That's part of the product too, to be honest with you. So let's go to the break and come straight back. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. From the break, and I'm, I'm talking here now to Nick Robinson. We walk through, was well, actually a walk through, it was sort of like a zigzag um, through his business life and his various experiences and into where the idea was originally hatched. Just take me through what it was like to work out how you get that bottle, how do you, t- and how do you then turn that bottle into a pair of sunglasses? Like, oh, it was, it was hell. It took 752 days. From that Monday when I went into the office and cleared the decks and sat down, 752 days. We basically broke it up into research four months, looks at polymers. I spoke to experts, scientists, uh, looked at the retail environment. We didn't know what the product was going to be. Then we realized, okay, there's a lot of greenwashing. Let's not use anything other than the bottle. So it's like magic. It's, you know, one of the journalists at the Sun Herald called it wizardry. I love that. It's like this was turned into this. It's like amazing, right? So you're like an alchemist. An alchemist. So we basically said, right, you know, most eyewear brands on the planet, whilst they call themselves sustainable, there's plastic, a little inner core in the arm, there's hinges, there's screws, there's there's little metal logos. So when you finish with that, you put it in the bin, there's no little secret person unscrewing every little element. Unless something is in its own individual source of material, plastic, metal, 
it just goes to it's a massive chance it goes to landfill. So you know you might think you're doing the right thing, and sadly, there's twenty you know there's twenty different components. Our glasses, Mark, are made of five components. So we the brief was one bottle should make the arms, the frame front, two hinges, and they should clip together in ten seconds, right? So that reduces cost of of labor, and 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 every kind of citizen in the world can do it, and you can fix it at home. So if something breaks. We can post them a new part and they can fix it themselves. And it's like Ikea, you know, you make your furniture, you love it more. And we've got, I reckon we've had 20 breakages in the last year. And those 20 people are our biggest fans because I've posted them out a new set of arms and they fixed them themselves in, in 20 seconds by following one of our videos. So the design process was, was kind of a nine month thing. And then we went into design and terror, we called it trial and terror. And we've got this machine made uh, that we basically get a forklift and we chuck it into the middle of an injection molding machine in, in the North shore. And we had to make 51 changes to that machine, which meant I had to get our family car drive just under 400 kilograms of steel to Minto back to the North shore. I did that 51, 52 times. Right. And that, and there's a cost allocated to that. And and I won't lie, it's funny. I've, I've cried three times. And there's this funny story where I was in Minto and, and it was all falling to shit. I, my wife and I put $250,000. We're not affluent people, but we just believed in this, let's untrash the planet, let's untrash the planet. That's kind of kept us on track. And I remember just leaving the tool place. And to them, it's just another tool. But to me, it was the start of something big. And, and I just sat there and I kind of broke down. And this poor tradie was having a cigarette and he came across to my car and he taps on the window and I didn't know Smooth FM was playing and Whitney Houston was on the radio and he put the window down and he's like, you're right, mate. I said, yeah, just, I'm just having a moment. And he goes, you, you're crying. I said, oh yeah, just something in my eye. And I put the window up, turned off Whitney and rang my wife and said, I think I've hit the bottom. I think I've, I've hit the bottom. And we had 20 more changes to go until we cracked it. That was at that point of the journey. So, yeah, it's been hard. But it, we had a film crew come and make a documentary on what we were doing. And they, the producer walked in and the director and said, this looks like a craft brewing setup. You've got, it's like a Willy Wonka thing. And it's, it, if something goes wrong here, it can set fire here and go wrong. But, yeah, we, we do it in Sydney because I wanted to make sure that it was being done. And I could have done it overseas. But I didn't believe that they would take the plastic of this and do turn it into this. Uh, because unless I can see it with my own eyes, this probably comes back to your observation before, Mark. If my tummy says, yeah, it's good, it's good. Just get just because I get a box sent over of, of glasses from somewhere else or a product and the factory owner says that's what it is, how do I know? So we have our own supply chain. You know, bales of plastic are bought from Thailand, Japan, Malaysia, Australia. That's because we're pretty good at recycling. And so we'll buy those bales and they'll go through a special process in Thailand and then ship to Melbourne. And then they pretty much in Melbourne get turned into cornflakes and another and little beads. And then that gets driven to our factory. And that's when we get our hands on it. And that's when our IP and the, the two and a half thousand, I've made catastrophic failures, Mark. But those lessons now are, are in the can, so to speak. But every day we have issues with manufacturing because it's, it's 100% recycled. But we don't, we don't water it down. It's 100% recycled. We can't, I've been so public about this. I, I, it, 
we, citizens that had pre-bought, some pre-bought, I wrote to them and said, you know, we're, we're so sorry, we're a year late. And they'd write back and say, yeah, keep going. I believe you because you said you wouldn't go to market till you were 100% recycled. If it takes you 10 years, I'm still in. And it's funny, you know, how supportive is that of a customer? None of them got the shits. They said, keep going. You've been honest. You're telling us what's going on. That's great. That's kind of how we launched it. We did start off talking about this very, very early in the podcast. Give me some more light color movement around the name. I mean, you want to, Harry, my 10-year-old, gave me a lecture walking up to school going, Dad, unless you've got a good name and it's sticky, it ain't going to work. And I'm like, I love kids. Yeah, of course. Thanks for that. My wife's just smiling going, yeah, I think Dad knows that. But good citizens is very simple. We live on a planet. There's lots of fighting, there's lots of diversity, there's lots of good, there's lots of bad, there's lots of I'm this hair colour, you're that size, you're this, you speak that language. End of the day, we live on a planet and we're citizens of it. That's the thing that unites us, right? And, and the other thing is that deep down, without getting too deep, you just want to be loved and you, you want to be seen as a good person. Even if you're a badass gangster, you still want your mum to do your washing, your pants and your socks and love you, right? So ultimately, the brand is simple, good, citizens. Just do the right thing. We're not here to lecture you. We're not here to make you feel bad. We're just going to show you what we're doing. If you want to get involved, great. Brands can't be for everybody. Products can't be for everybody. You're never going to, if you do that, you're vanilla and you're boring. And I do wrestle with this with the brand because I'm like, should I be high fashion? Should I, I don't want to be worthy. You know, and it's when we first started out, you know, we were like, should we, where should we put the brand? Who's right? And we said no to a lot of brands that approached us. And now I kind of want to drop myself in the middle of the fashion world and go, we're the same. We look the same. You like them. Oh, by the way, they're made of trash. And people are amazed when they hold the product and go, you tell, so you're telling me yesterday that was a plastic bottle. Yeah, that's, that's the brand. Good citizens just do the right thing. I love the word citizen. I mean, I actually um, registered the name, the words, the citizen versus, because I just think citizens aren't getting a fair crack in this world today. I mean, I was, I, was, I was sort of right in the middle of the US election, to be frank with you, and also, you know, with the Black Lives Matter stuff. It was, it's all about citizens having their say, citizens. We've forgotten the word citizen. Um, and it's sort of a word that – and we, we are the citizens and we are the most important part of the world. It's not yeah. the government. It's not the big corporations. We, the citizens, are the most important. And to some extent, we are versing everybody. We're not using our voice to talk against what's not right. The citizens should all get together and say, that's not right. Um, and it could be around COVID rules. It could be around, um, you know, I don't know. It could be around single-use plastic is a good example. Yeah. The citizens have a – we have a voice, but rarely do we get together. Um, and the good citizens – I mean, it's a great brand name. I, th I find it extraordinarily powerful, the good citizens, because citizen is underdone. We've forgotten how important a citizen is. Is that, does that sort of resonate with what you've been talking about? Yeah, look, I agree. But we can't be for everyone. But it's, it's like, yeah, power in the people. If we all make a little, little change and, and, and 8 million or billion or 7 billion trillion, whatever the kids call it, people make a change, one change, that's a good thing for the planet, right? I can only do so much. Mark Boris can only do so much. Jess, your producer, can only do so much. But if we all kind of go, right, this feels good for me and it's such a small thing I have to do in my life, then yeah, I think citizen power is what it's all about. And it's funny, we have a population counter. So the first person that bought our glasses lives in Sydney called Hugh. 
he pulled over in his car and he bought them, he sits as a number one. So every time someone buys, we have a population, a piece of software that issues them a citizenship number and they're part of our population. So one of my mates is a high commissioner in the UK and he's, he's worked in war zones for the UN, everybody. And Harry has pretty much said to him, Simon, when we get to a million population, will you come and run our little country for us? Now, how cool is that? And so Simon has said, yeah, when you get to a million, I'll come and do it. But imagine having an army of a million people truly united by a cause, then you can do good, you can do some interesting stuff, right? It's something I want to explore some more because um, we, we, we are not, we have not for a number of years as citizens remembered that we have rights and obligations to speak up. Now, my, uh, not, uh, Nick Robinson might speak up, but he's just one voice, no one's going to hear it. Mark Boris wants to speak up, he's just one voice, no one's going to hear it. But if a million people speak up, they will, someone will hear it. And if someone says to the government, we the million people, I'm citizen one to citizen one million, all of us take the view that from now on, um, single-use plastics should be outlawed or single-use plastics, whatever it is, um, yeah. the government will take notice. Because the citizens have spoken. The citizens have spoken, not just one. And, and that's and what I call it, a movement. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, these people, obviously, I can see who's bought, and I'm very protective, but I've had private meetings and audiences with people that are quite highly influential, didn't know they were, and they've rung me, come and seen me and had coffee with me, and I've then found out who they are, and I'm like, bloody hell, okay. And they're like, we just love what you're doing. Just wanted to say hello, and I get emails from people saying, and I look at who they are, and I go, okay. And some of those people are pretty, high, very high up in the Australian, you know, government and business and industry, and I, they get my our little newsletter and they write back, going, "Keep going." They're kind of also just kind of mentoring me, going, "Just keep going." If you have any issues, any was need, just it's interesting. Like I didn't realize the caliber of people that it's kind of attracting, and and it's really fascinating that they've kind of all said, "Right, if you want to engage this little army, we're part of this." I'm very humbled to be part of your idea. Let's do it. You're re-empowering us to remember about how important the citizen is and our rights and more importantly, our obligations are. And one of our big obligations is in relation today is in relation to the environment. Yeah. Um, and we have a right to be heard and we have an obligation to speak up. It goes, and for me, um, it's not a privilege. It's a right. It's, it's my right. And it's also, therefore, with that comes an obligation. And yep. by buying, say, your sunglasses, that's part of me exercising my right and my obligation. And there's political power in this. And it's, it's humbling because, it, and I only say it because part of, our mess, part of our business, Mark, is to turn trash into good. The other part is to say to people and get, and get, get people's attention, trying to get them to think about what they're doing, but in, not in a judgment way, but just a kind of an interesting way. But, it, you know, the citizen... For me, very early on, we kind of thought, you know, there's brands that have customers and they're an invoice. They're, they're, they're a transaction. Every citizen gets a number. So yeah, I've had people write to me saying, I was doing the Barara Waters Walk. I walked past someone. We both stopped. And then we've turned around and we both spotted we were wearing the same glasses and asked each other what citizen number we are. And they instantly loved that person. You're 635. How did you get that? I'm like four and a half thousand. How do you get in so early? And it's interesting that those two people are connected via a brand. You're a good person. You give a shit about my planet and what's going on, but it's not done in a charity kind of way. It's just done in an interesting, 
stylistic kind of way, you know? You've connected them to the movement and therefore they are all connected. It's a very interesting marketing process, I think. Um, I mean, again, I'll say how the word citizen is extremely powerful, like really powerful. Um, And especially when people understand that I am a citizen and I have rights. And then you haven't been listening to me for a long time, Mr. Government or Mrs. Government. Uh, I would like to say something to you, but I have never been able to say anything to you because I never thought I had any power to say because you wouldn't listen to me. But right now I want to be part of the Good Citizen Group because one day um, we as a group, led by um, the kids <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and, and Nick, are going to tell you something on our behalf. Can I ask you this? Do you use um, um, email or, or other formats to send out literature and stuff to all your citizens yeah yeah well to be honest i've been spinning you know and this is a show about small business and the 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 troughs and the peaks and the highs i'm pretty busy and we've not probably done it as well there's a nice little welcome series we have clavio set up which is a great program which sends out an automated this is our story reconfirming you're important to us uh yep this this is really weird mark I ring about 10 citizens cold every week just to have a chat. How are your glasses? Give us some feedback. How are you? What do you reckon we can do better? Like that. And they're like, oh, my God, are you? is it really you? I'm like, yeah, we were a real business, and I just want to talk to you, and I do it, and it's weird. And I've only had one person in a year say, oh, I'm pretty busy. They generally go, oh, I can't believe you've rung. And it's kind of a bit old school, but I think people have one of the biggest bits of feedback we've had is, it's good old fashioned customer service, which I know as we scale, it's going to be harder to do, but it's very much part of one of our values is that if it's wrong, we'll bloody well fix it. And people are like, it feels like the olden days because now everything's set up on Snapchat, this, that, and it's great, but it's kind of more pixel trash. But right now I'm focused on who we have. Are they getting a good experience? Are they liking what we've got? There's no point doing this if it isn't going to resonate and connect and and they feel part of it. I see it as a very, very clever device, extremely clever device to get people to join a movement as opposed to you having a a business that sells a product which is creating a movement. (laughs) I see it around the other way. Um, But, and uh, it doesn't really matter which one it is because they're both effective and they're, but they both have the same outcome too, by the way. So for those people who aren't anointed with this gift of being super sensitive to what is important in this world today, people like Nick, Robinson, okay, walk on my side for a little while and have, just think about efficiencies. Think about optimization. Think about um, uh, aspiring to be like the most efficient economy in the world. That's mother nature. And then you'll start to get it Yeah, because it is pretty fucking smart. Yeah, it's, it's funny, Mark, that I, I, I don't ever look at myself. We don't, we're not saving the planet because we know we can't. We're realistic. You know, we're only doing it one bottle. And for every kind of pair we sell, we also pull a kilo of ocean plastic out. And that's done by a separate organization, right? So it's a double on trashing. Bottles stop going, going to landfill or the ocean, and we remove a kilo. That's, we fund that as a gift from you to the planet as a good citizen. So if that's all you do, you've done your part, right? But I do know I had a mate in the UK ring me, said, just bought a Tesla. And I'm like, why are you telling me? He goes, because I bought a pair of your glasses first and it got me thinking, I'm driving around in this shit heap that's burning all this fuel. So I've gone and dropped 150 grand on a Tesla. And Harry and I then went and presented to Tesla. They asked us to come in and give a talk to their leadership team, which was an amazing experience, right? And I said, yeah. Harry said, you owe us because we got, my, 
our mate bought a Tesla because they bought our glasses. And it's funny, people will wear our glasses. And if it's the first step towards doing something that's kind of doing the right thing, fantastic. But we know we're not here to save the planet. We're just kind of here to change perceptions and people to go, hang about, if my glasses are made of this crap and trash, why is no, nothing else made of this trash? And my friend David said to me, you know, I, it's kind of made me really think about a lot of things in my house. And he's, in, he's a developer and he's looking at now his buildings going, right, what can we put in this building before it was not sustainable? His new development might be 40% sustainable and all his buildings now run on green energy. And whilst you know, Harry and I laugh and we go, we're kind of part of that journey. We've got him thinking, which means something positive's come out of it. And he's a good citizen and he's just doing the right thing in his area. And I know we've inspired other people. And I know we, I, I get emails from people saying, hey, we saw you and we've set this up. And they're going to do far more on trashing of the planet than us. But we were kind of inspired them. And I get inspired by other people, right? And isn't that what it's about? And if it all falls over and fails, Mark, I'll go and get another job. But as current trends are going, we're, we're going to, you know, we're going to do all right. And, and our metric is impact money, too, a dirty word, money. But I don't want to be a brand that, oh, yeah, it looks good, mate, but, you know, your skin. I want to be, Jesus, they've done very well financially. And impact is exactly 50-50 because they should not be separate. I don't want to be just an impact business and be broke. I don't want to be wealthy and not have done the right thing. So good citizens, you know, it's together. And I want to prove that as we go for investment, as, as we talk to investors at the moment, come on board, but you're part of our journey. And if we're going to do this right and take capital or whatever it may be, it's done in the right way so people can see how we did it and how we scaled it and how we grew it and how we got to where we got to, that no one was harmed. Can I, I just want to read something here for you, and it's about you guys. I'm going to have to put my specs on. And just in terms of um, media attention, in June 2020, Forbes in the US covers the Good Citizen story. In August 2020, Selfridges in London gave you an entire window next to Prada for three months. Um, pretty cool. Um, in September 2020, you won Best in Class in Gold at the International Good Design Awards. In September 2020, you spoke at the United Nations Global Impact Conference as part of a live Q&A. In November 2020, uh, you won the Design File Sustainable Design Initiative for 2020. Pretty cool stuff. Pretty cool for a, a 10-year-old. Um, he, must, he must have some really good, uh, like, you know, what, you know, kids go to school and have to say what they did on the weekend. Oh, mate, um, he must yeah. have some really cool stories. We, uh, when, when we got asked to speak at the United Nations, because this year, last year it was on Zoom. Well, we, well, it was on the United Nations version of Zoom. It's... it's this is some pretty, it's, it's a schmick setup. I had to go to school and my wife ran up and the teacher said, where's he going? It's the middle of school time. And Jocelyn said, he's, he's, he's talking at the United Nations. And Harry's like, oh, good, it's on. Yeah, I didn't think I was talking today. So he left for an hour, came home and spoke. Yeah, that was really bizarre. Uh, but, you know, how proud do I feel as a dad that he's doing that? Uh, you know, and, you know, when we got into Forbes, he was walking up the road reading it on my phone and his little mate at the traffic light said, what are you doing, mate? He's like, I'm just reading about my business in Forbes. And he's not, he, he, he's a lovely naivety to it because I asked him, I said, what do you think Forbes is? He said, is that a newsletter? And I said, yeah, it's a newsletter. But they, you know, Forbes covered it because we'd got into Selfridges. And that is just, we could talk another whole episode around how the hell we managed to get that window in Selfridges. But I think what the, the buying team and management team of Selfridges loved was the fact that 
we were very honest about where we were at and what we were doing and how we were doing it. And they felt that as a fashion brand, the world needs a bit more of this. And, and I was very open about what we were failing big time when we did deal. And, but we still, we pulled it off and we did it, you know, and it's kind of, I tell you what, you know, I know time's limited, but my relationship with my kids is interesting because I'm a business partner, but also they've just got to be kids and do the right thing. And, and, and now we kind of, one of my wife's friends is really savvy businessman took us aside and said, I can see the kids are getting a bit stressed when you're asking them to make decisions on simple things like what color should we do the new clips in their mind? It was this catastrophic big decision to make. Whereas us adults have seen everything and been in business. And I'm like, it doesn't matter what they are, but the kids, you could see Harry was really kind of stressed about it. So now there's a very, they're, they're only involved in kind of every, every couple of weeks we'll have a little meeting and tell them what we're doing financially and, it's bizarre having conversations with your kid about does it include GST and not include GST when they're looking at sales forecasts, but they're very much at school doing their thing, nothing special about them. You know, we, we, Harry appeared on the front page of the Sydney Morning Herald after that, and I got a bollocking off my mum, and she probably listened to this too. So, you know, that we, we don't let our kids on social media, so that, that melted our heads because it was like, oh, wow, okay, no, no. So they're very now, they were there at the beginning, it's a proper business, you know, we're, we're going to a, a new place and the kids are part of that history and they don't have to be involved in any other way, but we let them know what's going on and they get little dividends and they spend that money. So can I, can I get a bit of a sneak peek into what might be your next product? No, <laughs> we look, no, we, we, well, we, I'd ask, oh, no, but look, you know, if I was, this is the mentor and you, you're a savvy yeah. man. You'd probably say to me, focus on this. The eyewear industry is a big industry. You know, we're going to go, we're in prescription. Focus on that. Don't get distracted. There's only so many hours I have. There was something we were going to go into. And if we had gone into it, it would have put in 400 bottles into each item. But with the way the world has gone and there's no world travel, that would have been a catastrophic failure. Again, I trusted my gut and went, nah, we're not going to go into that area. But, you know, the Good Citizens brand, has the potential to go into we could license it out so if someone wants to make modular homes because modularity is a big thing you know imagine if we could make modular homes out of trash uh and oh, yeah. and, and, and you know mark's house has got 12 pods nick's house has got three but as i have more kids or your kids leave home you can sell that pod to me and i Mark's house of 12 pods. Nick's oh, got beautiful six. circular economy. You know that's, I mean? that's the best form of reuse. Yeah. Of all so, time. you know, let's, you know, imagine this, you know, we go into business and we do that and we do it under the good citizens brand. It's like. So their lifestyle version of Lego. Yeah. Look, I'm, I'm not saying that's the idea, but the idea of modularity, doing the right thing and turning trash into good and, and it just becoming part of a useful product that you use, there's potential and yeah, who knows where it can take us. I always give it, I mean, it's a, this has been a brilliant conversation and um, you've got my, um, uh, my own imagination going, um, which is, in my case, not always easy to do, but you, you, you really have got my imagination going. And I'm sort of, sort of getting a sense of, I mean, I love any movement, but this is a movement for good. Um, and I think it is, and this is actually, it's a movement for sustainability, but it's actually a sustainable movement. As opposed to movement, as as well as being a movement for sustainability, um, on, on the planet, um, I always give everyone an opportunity to ask me a question. So um, maybe you got one for me, have you? Yeah, I've got a question. The kids had a question, but I said I'm not going to ask that. 
that's hard. Ask me a question. I'll tell you something funny about that. Hang on. Many years ago, I had an opportunity to meet the Dalai Lama and uh, I had one-on-one conversation with him and the Dalai Lama said, said to me, I'll give you three questions. Like I was told by the nun that I, that introduced me that I could ask him three questions, any three questions. And I asked my kids, what questions do you want me to ask? And I actually, I can only ask one of them and I actually asking the question that my kids asked me to ask, ask the Dalai Lama that particular question. That's so brilliant. I'm not the Dalai Lama, of course, but if you want to ask me a question that your kids have put up, I'm happy to answer it. Well, I've got two. First, up to you. First one of the questions is, the, okay, go for the it. first one was that obviously they've just watched Sir Alan Sugar on The Apprentice and Jocelyn said, yeah. Mark Boris used to do this. And then Harry said to me, can you ask Mark if he felt bad firing people? I didn't like it, which is one of the reasons I decided not to do it anymore. So... Um, there are a number of reasons. The, the format for me, to be honest with you, the greatest respect to Alan Sugar and everybody else, the format for me of saying to someone in this day and age, you're fired, um, doesn't sit very well with me. So I never did. And I tried to do it in the nicest possible way when I did run it. Um, I did like five years of it. Um, I tried to do it in the nicest possible way, but I felt like shit every single time I've done it. I've never ever said to anyone in my life, in real life, you're fired. Okay, well, ever. the question I'd like to know is, uh, Every because there'll be people listening to this of all you know that have done extremely well and and are also facing daily challenges. And I think I've just come out of a trough in the business because you mentioned lots of highs that have happened. There's also incredible lows, and I feel I've come out of the valley of despair. You know, when was the last time you were in the valley of despair on your journey, and how do you how do you get out of it? And what would you say to people that and me and people listening to this right now when you're in this zone? This is what would be the words you would say or the advice? Well, the last time I was in the Valley of Despair um, was um, in uh, 2000 and um, was a long period, actually. It was a number of years. It was from about 2016 to about 2019, three years, uh, because the government in the Yellow Big Road business kept um, putting up roadblocks as to who we could lend money to, how much we could lend. They were trying to control the property market. So they were sort of controlling the lending rules. And, um, you know, that at one stage we were lending 40% to all our customers. 40% of our customers were investors. The government said, you can't have more than 10% anymore. So, you know, like it, killing my business. And I was getting, you know, like that type of environment from my government. And it, it, that, that is despairing because you gear your business up with the costs, these overheads to – to a certain revenue revenue level, and all of a sudden the revenue level goes, and you have to, you know, you have to pay your business back. So the way I dealt with it, I always believe in my purpose, my original purpose. My original purpose was I actually want people to have a home. I actually, I, I, I want really do believe people should have an investment property or a home to they they can call their own for the purposes of stability, security, safety, convenience, everything, and just enjoyment, family enjoyment. I'm a, I'm still a big believer in the like the, the old-fashioned nuclear family to some extent. I mean, I know there's a modern version of that, but I, I just people feeling like they're part of a family, and you know, and to do that, part of it is having a house over your head, so um, a roof over your head. So, um, but I always remember the most important thing is why I'm here, what the hell I'm doing, and you have a really good cause, and you know that'll be the thing that'll drag you through. I would imagine why you were there, oh, I, and, and what I you're doing. Be- untrash the planet three words which i've trademarked you know i want to make sure that we kind of have some ownership over that and we've had that trademark since 2018 and we one of the first things we did legally which you do when you protect a business with ip it's the very thing that we thought right this is our this is our mantra and that has been the one thing 
that has got me through and two little kids looking at you going, come on, are we going to do this? Are we Are going to fix the ocean? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're never going to fix the ocean, but you know, we can play our part. So uh, yeah, that's, that's been my purpose too. So I guess that's a great answer for, for me and anyone who's listening that probably just pulls back to the moment you started this venture and what was it that, why you did it? That's the answer, isn't it? Why you did it? You've probably lost sight of that as you've gone and you get more and more stress on your shoulders. But go back to when, why did I start this? And that's that's important to me because I remember the first time I tried to borrow money, it was like, and I come from a relatively poor background um, and it was virtually impossible. Um, and, you know, they wanted me, you know, your parents guarantee and all sorts of stuff. And I just thought, man, this is the most difficult thing in the world for anybody to do. And I just thought if I, and then I, I was fortunate enough, I made money, but I thought to myself, well, I've got to do something about it. I've got to try and make a difference. And that's it. For me, I like to make a difference. I, I don't want to work on something unless I'm making a difference. So that's, that's my deal. I want to make a difference. And uh, no doubt you're doing the same thing. And, and by the way, all of us in business, small business, large business, medium business, we've got to try and find what little difference do we make, even if it means putting a smile on someone's face. If I'm running a cafe and there's six cafes in the street, I'll make a difference because I'll make sure that the person walks out of my coffee shop is smiling. And even if I just want to know a little bit of what they do for the day or make them feel a bit good, um, that could be one of those little wins that they can chalk up for the day. They might be having a shit day. They might have a shit, might have had a shit month, a shit year, but I want them to be able to get one little win out of their interaction with me. Even if, I, as I said, if I was running a cafe, it's making that little difference. And that's what I think successful small business owners do. They make that little difference, a small difference. Can be a big difference, but can be that small difference too. Doesn't have to be big or large, just a difference. Agree. Good man. Thanks for talking to me. I wish you the very best of luck. You're on a mission. I, I, I can't wait till you get to number 1 million and I want to sit down and talk to you at that point. Well, should I, um, should because... I, should I ring you to say, oi? Please do. I, where do I go online? Oh, you can go online to goodcitizens.com.au uh, and they've got this new little virtual try-on thing we developed because of COVID. Obviously, retail's really hard and 90, 98% of our business is online uh, at the moment. Uh, but you can go to goodcitizens.com.au and the kids will say, did you tell them the Instagram is goodcitizens underscore official? So go there and give us a like because we've been terrible at that. I'll do it. Yeah. We'll, we'll follow you too. So And 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 I will be going to goodcitizens.com.au and I will be getting myself a pair of sunglasses. because Not that I need another pair of sunglasses, but because I want to be party movement, I want to get a citizen number. Okay. Well, you, Hugh Morris at number one, you can be the millionth. Between you, you can just sort it out. <laughs> Sweet as. Really great to talk to and you. you. Thanks very much. Nick Robinson from goodcitizens.com.au. Thanks for listening to The Mentor. Audio and production is by Jess Morley. And production assistants, Jonathan Leondis. 